Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10 this morning. I'd like to read it for us as we begin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And this morning, as we come to look into it, to study, and to hear what you have to say to us, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive, just like those of the Thessalonians. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way that you continue to change lives and move in power. And God, we pray that you would continue to do that in our midst too. Amen. If you have ever had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, you know what a joy that is. I still remember the first person that uh, prayed with me when um, I shared the gospel with them. It was back when I was a student at Moorhead State. And uh, this uh, student, his name was Jay Fisher. And I didn't really know Jay at all at that time, but we had set up this appointment that we were going to meet, and I was going to uh, talk with him. And uh, a friend, a Campus Crusade staff member who was discipling me was going to be there. And so we met in the student union, or that's where we had set up this appointment at a certain time. And uh, Jim, the staff member, and I were there, but Jay didn't come. And I was just like, oh. I'm just so disappointed, you know, like, where is he or what happened here? And Jim said, well, why don't you just give him a call and see if he just forgot. So I give him a call, and he's in his dorm room, and he was like, sounded eager to meet. And I thought, well, this is great. Well, we'll just wait for you to come on over. And so he came, and I shared the gospel using the four spiritual laws as a tool. Talked about God's love, talked about our sin that separates us from God and how Jesus came to bridge that gap and pay the penalty for our sins. And that each of us must individually receive him as our Savior and Lord in order for us to be forgiven, to become part of his family. We need to respond to his invitation. And I asked Jay if he wanted to pray to receive Christ that day, and he said yes. And I was thrilled. Now, we uh, prayed that prayer together, and then afterwards we talked to him a little bit more, and it turned out that his grandfather had recently invited him and brought him to a Christian businessman's breakfast where he had heard the gospel. 
And he didn't make a commitment at that time. He wanted to think about it some more, but his grandmother and grandfather had been praying for him. And when we met that day, I had the opportunity to be part of the harvest. Someone else had planted the seed. Someone else had watered that seed and cultivated it. And I had the privilege of being one who was there when he wanted to make that commitment to Christ. You know, in our church, as you know, we put out white roses every time we hear of someone who has come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord through your ministry, your witness, and also through the ministries of our church. And I was looking back, and I don't know the exact year when we started. I know we've been doing this at least since 1996, 20 years. And in those first years, when we were a lot smaller as a church, we'd maybe see 30 to 40 people in a year come to know Christ. In recent years, it's been more like 80 to 100 people every year. That would be well over 1,000, maybe 1,500 people who have come to know Christ through your witness these past 20 years. That is wonderful. When I think about the church in Thessalonica, The church in Thessalonica was an evangelistic church. When they heard the gospel, they understood that this was a message that was to be shared. They didn't keep it secret. This wasn't something that was just personal for them or for us. They shared that good news with others, and that was how that church grew. They had a faith that overflowed and the ripple effects were felt throughout the Roman Empire. How did that happen? And what can we learn from that? Well, first of all, we see that evangelism begins with God. Evangelism begins with God, and we see that in verse 4. When Paul said, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul called them brothers. And that term is inclusive in the Scripture. We would say brothers and sisters. That's just the way they referred to people in the church. And it's a reminder that we are a family in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are also deeply loved by God. That's what the word beloved means. Loved by God. And because of God's great love for us, Paul said to those who are in that church, he said that God chose you to be his child. And God has chosen you to be his child if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord. It is the doctrine of election that is taught here. And it is really unfortunate that this doctrine of election, which is meant to be a great comfort, has sometimes been divisive. As people have argued over theological systems like Calvinism or Arminianism, and their understanding of election. But when you read the Scriptures, you see it taught here very clearly. And yet on another level, it is a profound mystery. For example, in Ephesians 1.4, the Scripture says, For he chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us before the creation of the world. Before Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, before there was a cross on Calvary, 
God chose those who would believe in his son. That is a profound mystery. That's that's one of those amazing statements, but it shows how clearly it is that this work of salvation all begins with God, who takes the initiative and who draws people to himself. So how did Paul know that the Thessalonians were chosen by God? Well, it was because of three things. Number one, because of their extraordinary response. They, they responded to the gospel. They heard the word. They were eager to learn. They were hungry. They dug into the scriptures. They listened. Paul also said it was because of their changed lives. They turned from idols to the living and true God. And it was because of their fervent witness. They wanted others to know him too. And they shared the gospel in spite of severe suffering and persecution. We believe, we are changed, and we want others to know him too. That's the divine order in which these things take place. That God, when he does such a work in our heart where we are changed and we understand the gospel, we want our friends, we want our family, we want others that we know to come into a relationship with Christ too. That's what happened in my life. Again, in those years when I was in college, God did a work of grace where I surrendered my life fully as well as I understood to him. I had accepted Christ when I was 10 years old, and I believed that I was saved, that God did a work, there was a hunger to know him, but in those years in high school, I was kind of riding the fence. There was no one who was really discipling me. I wasn't really growing. It wasn't until I got involved in a student ministry in college that I really personalized my faith and began to grow deeper in the word. And when I understood the gospel, I wanted my friends in high school to know Christ too. And there were three guys in particular that I had spent a lot of time with in high school, and I went back and I shared the gospel with each one of them. And their response was very much like the parable of the sower and the four soils. You know, one of my friends just kind of blew it off. Wanted nothing to do with it. Wanted to continue basically in a party lifestyle. Another friend listened politely. He would say that he believed it, but it was harder to see the evidence in him. I think the worries of this world or the cares of life or the desire to other things were more dominant, and he never really grew in his relationship with Christ. But the third friend believed. He responded eagerly. And for the next two summers, I would meet with this friend and his wife in a Bible study where we were digging into the Word together and I could see them growing in their relationship with Christ. Not everyone will respond to the gospel when we share it. But secondly, what we do see here is that evangelism is the responsibility of every believer. Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, when you look at that verse, I mean, Jerusalem was their hometown. That's like saying to us, I want you to be my witness in your hometown. 
Judea and Samaria, well, those were the region or the area in which they lived, and the Judeans would be people who were culturally like them, and the Samarians were people who were culturally different. And he's saying, I want you to go to both. It's not just to share the gospel with those who are like you, but even those who are different from you. And then literally to go to the ends of the earth as we have opportunity working together. That's the Great Commission in another form that God has given to us to go and make disciples of all people. And that is what Paul and Silas did in Thessalonica on this missionary journey. They shared the gospel. And I want you to notice how they shared the gospel in verse 5. They shared the gospel in words, but not simply with words. They shared the gospel with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, And they shared the gospel in life. When he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. They saw a life of faith in Paul and Silas in the way that they lived. Now that's a powerful combination. I mean, we need to share the gospel in words. We need to make it clear. And so as believers, we need to understand what does someone need to know in order to come to a relationship with Christ? What is it that's important to emphasize in that? And tools like the four spiritual laws or steps to peace peace with God can help you. We have evangelistic tracks in our foyer that you can use to make the gospel clear. You can use the Romans Road, one of my favorites, where you take those verses from Romans, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, and you can walk people through the gospel. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. That's a pretty simple thing that every believer can memorize and understand that's at the heart of the gospel. When we read that they shared the gospel with power, it doesn't mean that there were always miracles. Sometimes God did miracles to authenticate his messenger. But more so, this passage means that we need to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't convert anyone. That's God's work. It's God's work who changes heart or who brings conviction to a person when they hear his word. We're just the messenger. But when we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses us and he honors his word. And thirdly, they shared it in life. A life changed by God's grace is a powerful witness, and it gives weight to what we say. Now, each of us has a testimony that we can share. 
It doesn't have to be dramatic. Sometimes I've heard people say, oh, well, my testimony seems kind of boring. I came to know Christ through my parents, and I grew up in a Christian family, and some people think that that's boring. You know what? That's a wonderful testimony. You know how many people in our church wish that they had a testimony like that because of the bad and difficult things that they went through in their life, that they wish they could do over or not have done? You know, to grow up in a Christian home and come to know Christ that way is beautiful. But all of us have a story. And we have struggles we went through. We had hard things we went through. And there are others who you will connect with who need to hear that testimony. We can pray. We can invite others to church. We can serve. We can share our story, our testimony. And most of all, we can share the gospel. I want to tell you a story about a man named Ted DeMoss. And Ted was an outstanding businessman. He was an insurance man, along with his brother, who had a very significant witness and outreach. Uh, Only, you know, it didn't start out that way. He tells his story when he was young. He was like 25 years old. He had gotten connected with a Christian businessmen's club. And he was growing his faith, and he had never had an opportunity to share the gospel, and he started to pray for that. God, would you open a door where I could share the gospel with someone? Well, one day in the course of selling insurance, he had been given a contact at work of a a person living in this apartment building, such and such address. And so he goes to the third floor of this apartment building, knocks on the door, wanting to talk to this guy about insurance. And the man inside answers the door, doesn't open it. He's a little gruff, and he kind of growls, who's out there? And Ted said, well, you know, I had learned in the insurance business, you never say the insurance man because people might not open the door. So he just said, I'm Ted DeMoss. And the guy, still kind of gruff, was saying, well, if I open this door, I'm going to throw you down those stairs, you know, and I'll get away from my door. And Ted said, Sir, I just want to talk with you. I'm not going to hurt you. Please open the door. He said, I fully intended to talk to this man about insurance, but when he opened the door, I saw before me an elderly man looking like a thin Santa Claus. And I hadn't been in the business long, but I knew that he was too old to buy any insurance that I might sell him. And looking at me directly, he demanded, I opened the door. Now, what do you want to talk to me about? I'd like to come in and talk to you. What about? And as I spoke, the Spirit of God impressed me to talk to him about Jesus Christ. And I had never done that before. He stepped aside, invited him in. I entered. We both sat down on a couch in the living room. And looking at me again, he said, what did you want to talk to me about? And Ted said, I'd like to read to you from the Bible. And the man said, go ahead. And Ted said, I don't have a Bible. Do you have one? (laughs) And the man said, I don't know. I've been blind for many years. Do you mind if I look around the apartment for one? And he agreed. And after a brief search, I found a Bible covered with dust on top of a stack of books. I walked back to the couch and I began to read from John 3, the story of Nicodemus, 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I came to John 3.18 where it says that he that believes in him is not condemned, but he that does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I was praying. I didn't know what to do next, he said. But when I looked up, what I saw shocked me. This man's beard was wet with tears that God had spoken to him while I was reading the scripture. And I said, sir, would you like to invite Jesus Christ into your life right now, right here? And the man nodded thoughtfully, and he said, I'd like to do it right now, but not here. Where do you want to do it? I want to do it with my mother. Well, mentally, I was scratching my head. The man had told me he was 81, and I thought, what do I say now? So I decided to ask, where is your mother? In the kitchen, he pointed. I was thinking he maybe had a picture of her hanging in the kitchen. I suppose he wanted to go there for sentimental reasons, so we made our way back to the kitchen, and to my surprise, there was his mother sitting in a canvas back chair. She was 98 years old and an invalid. I can still hear the man's words as if he were speaking them today. He said, Mother, God has sent a man to our house. He's been reading the Bible to me, and I'm going to accept Jesus Christ. Well, I have never heard anyone scream like she did in my life. When she regained control of her emotions, this aged woman said an amazing thing. Mr., I don't know who you are, but I have prayed for my boy every day for over 80 years. And her son and I got on our knees, and I had the joy of praying with him and seeing him come to know Christ as Savior. Talk about a divine appointment. Being willing, bold, willing to trust God that he was going to use this in spite of what might happen. And God honored that. Ted said, I was so thrilled that day I couldn't even go back to work. I had to call my wife and tell her what had happened. You know, we don't know how God may use us when we take the initiative. Sometimes we're just the one planting the seeds. We're encouraging someone to check it out, to take the next step. But there are times also when God lets us reap this harvest, and it is a wonderful thing. I want to tell you thirdly what I see here in the Thessalonians is that it is often in the hardest circumstances of our life that our faith shines the brightest. It's often in the hardest times of our life that our faith shines the brightest. Look at verses 6 to 10 and what he says about them. He said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. I mean, here were believers that were being harassed, believers who uh, were going to lose their jobs, some of them, believers who were going to be ostracized by the community because they had turned from being idol worshipers to being believers in Christ. And even today in parts of the world where ancestors are worshipped or spirits are worshipped in a community, if you are not someone who does that and there's a bad crop 
or something bad happens in your family, there are people who will say, see, it's because you don't worship the ancestors anymore. You upset everything, or you're the problem for all our problems. And there is this tremendous pressure. But they put their trust in God. And they became models to others. That word model means an exact copy, if you will. They imitated Paul and Silas, and they now became a model to others who would learn from them. They welcomed the message with joy, and it was a joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he tells us in verse 8 that the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, there, Judea and Samaria, but literally throughout the whole Roman Empire. That's how the church grew. People stepped out in faith. They trusted God in spite of suffering. Ruth Tucker, a church historian, in her book, From Jerusalem to Erie and Jaya, writes this. She said, Christianity penetrated the Roman world through five main avenues. It was through the preaching and teaching of the evangelists and the apostles. It was through the personal witness of believers. It was through acts of kindness and charity. It was through the faith that was shown by believers in the face of persecution and death. And it was also through the intellectual reasoning of the early apologists. And these disciples went out into the whole world. Matthew would go into Persia. Thomas would go to India. Bartholomew would go into Asia. Philip and John would go into what we would call Turkey. Andrew would go into Russia. Peter would go to Rome. James the Greater would go to Spain. And Mark would go south into Egypt. Taking the gospel wherever they went. In that age, every Christian was a missionary, wrote John Fox in his Book of Martyrs. The soldier tried to win recruits for the heavenly host. The prisoner sought to bring his jailer to Christ. The slave girl whispered the gospel in the ears of her mistress. The young wife begged her husband to be baptized that their souls might not be parted after death. Everyone who had experienced the joys of believing tried to bring others to faith. Not only were they personally witnessing, but their acts of charity spoke volumes. In fact, it's interesting that it is through the mouths of critics of Christianity that we learn a lot about this. For example, example, Emperor Julian, who was a Hellenist, was concerned that members of his own religion not be outshone by Christians whom he called atheists because they worshipped only one God. He said, it's a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. And that testimony spoke volumes to the world. But even more so was their faith that was evident even in death. The fire of persecution purified the church. 
And the courage displayed by the innocent victims was a spectacle that unbelievers could not fail to notice. There are many well-authenticated cases of conversion of pagans in the very moment of witnessing the condemnation and death of Christians. A factor that supports the statement of Tertullian who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Powerful, powerful. God often uses the hardest circumstances in our life to be a witness for Christ. The first funeral that I ever did here at our church was for Barry Tangwell, an infant who was born with a condition called trisomy 13. He lived just a few days and died. And I remember talking to Tom and Debbie Tangwell about this, and I said, God is going to use this in your life and in the life of others to be a witness for him. A few years ago, Tom, when he shared his testimony with us as a church, talked about that and said he didn't know quite what to make of it at the time when I said that, but he has said it has turned out to be very true. That for Tom and Debbie, the most significant opportunities they've had to share the gospel and to minister to others are when they have come alongside someone else who has lost an infant, a stillborn, and someone who has died prematurely. I think of Lisa Lazat when Mike died, and we were all shocked by that. And I thought of how powerfully God spoke through Mike's life, who touched so many people as a tennis coach and as a hockey coach and his involvement with sports and in school and in the community. And Lisa's faith and her trust in God in this most difficult of times spoke volumes. And I think of that again this past week when Pat and Ginger lost their 11-year-old daughter. And I think of how hard, how painful this is, this hole that they feel. And yet I know that God is going to use their life to be a testimony to others. It might be in sickness, it might be in death, it might be in financial struggles, it might be with addictions or trials that we have had to overcome. But God will use you and me if we will let him. I look at the Thessalonians again, and what we read here is that they turned the world upside down. These apostles who went from city to city on that missionary journey, people came to know Christ, churches were planted, and they literally impacted their whole world. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. We have idols too. We have things that our world wants to put their confidence or trust in, and God shakes them. He shakes people's financial security. He shakes our health. He shakes our relationships so that we might see that only in Him is there a sure foundation. And they put their hope in Christ and His imminent return. They turned to God and they waited for His Son from heaven whom God had raised from the dead, Jesus, our hope, the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. Would you like to be part of something like that? You can, if you will join with God in his mission.
And join with us as we work together to follow Jesus Christ and to go and make disciples. The greatest thing that we can do for someone else is to help them know Jesus. To come to know Christ and to grow in their relationship with Him. And I'm excited that in our ABFs this fall that we are starting uh, with this series that many of you have seen already or the first part of it called Tell Someone. Tell Someone. It's something that all of us can do. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, thank you for the encouragement that we find here in this passage of Scripture. And thank you for the way that you have been at work in our church to bring so many to faith in Christ for the years. God, would you continue to do that and use us to be your witnesses for Christ? We praise you for your work of grace in saving us and opening our eyes to see the glory of Christ. And we pray that we would be bold in our witness. God, help us to make the gospel clear, to point others to Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we would live in a way that honors you, that gives an evidence of faith and that you would use those things together, our words and our love for others and our life, to bring others into a relationship with your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.